Hi, David. When we last spoke at the end of March, we discussed the rally in risk assets against the backdrop of rising bond yields. But in April, risk markets have had a tougher time. Hi, Alex. Yeah, that's that, that's right. I mean, we were discussing the kind of disconnect, if you like, between sharply rising bond yields in response to hawkish rhetoric from central banks, but equity markets continue to rally. But you know, so far this month, global equities are on track for their uh, worst performance since March 2020, with, with tech and cyclical stocks in particular underperforming. And, and I think it's this relative performance, to some extent, tells us why. And I think it's because of the sharp rise, especially in US real rates, and increasingly a market that's getting worried about the outlook for global growth. In my opinion, I think real yields, so that's yields adjusted for expected inflation, will continue to rise, either because inflation expectations will fall as the outlook for growth weakens, or from central bank hawkishness. But I think with real yields moving higher, tighter financial conditions, it, it is a challenging environment for risk assets. And especially as investors also start to shift their focus to some extent from inflation to, to, to growth. And, and the near-term outlook for global growth is has worsened. Um, you know, China is grappling with the latest Omicron wave and the war in Ukraine and confrontation between the West and Russia is intensifying. How worried are you about the outlook for China? You know, China is, 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 is central to a lot of this uh, discussion in terms of the global uh, growth outlook. And, you know, we have discussed before concerns around, you know, growth in China because of the downturn in the property market. But now we also have the uh, irresistible force of Omicron meeting the immovable object of China's zero COVID policy. So although the number of reported confirmed cases and asymptomatic infections have started to fall, mass testing is being extended across Beijing. And, and that has prompted fears of a lockdown in Beijing and in other cities like the one that has paralyzed um, Shanghai. And we've seen you know, Chinese equity markets are at their lowest level uh, for, for two years. The Chinese currency, the, uh, the yuan has uh, fallen to its weakest level in 17 months. And, and high frequency data and mobility data you know, show that lockdowns, as we know, are having a, you know, big negative impact on economic activity. And, and, and speaking to some of our um, you know, property uh, analysts, it, it's clearly also exacerbating the uh, property market downturn in, in, in China. So, you know, growth forecasts for China are being revised lower. And that's despite the People's Bank of China pledging to support the economy, it cut required reserve requirements on, on banks' foreign currency liabilities. And that's effectively, it releases dollar liquidity to support the Chinese currency. But bottom line is the scale of monetary and fiscal support for the economy is falling well short of what is required to deliver the 5.5% growth target that uh, the Chinese authorities have, have set. I mean, I, I just don't think they're going to get close to that uh, in, in, in reality. And, you know, as we've discussed, Alex, along with the US, you know, China is, is, is a key engine of the global economy and, and weaker China demand has global um, spillovers. You know, for example, uh, around about 10% of European corporate earnings are from sales in China. And I think the other concern as well, 
um, is that these lockdowns are going to kind of extend or even worsen um, some of the disruptions or the persistent disruptions and shortages we've seen in terms of global supply chains. And, and it's, it's the kind of normalization of those supply chains that sort of underpins um, certainly central bankers' hopes that inflation will start to fall in the second half of this year. Talk of inflation and rates brings us to next week's meeting of the US Federal Reserve. What do you expect? So the, the Fed's going to raise rates by 50 basis points. It's the first half point increase in the Fed funds rate since 2000. Um, that won't come as a surprise. It's more or less comp- fully priced uh, by uh, the, the market. Uh, the Fed's also going to, I think, announce the start of its balance sheet runoff or, or quantitative tightening with monthly caps on redemptions of its holdings of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, um, gradually increasing to a total of $95 uh, billion. Um, I, I think the focus of investors, to some extent, will be less on these policy announcements. As usual with the Fed, it's effectively told us what it's going to do at its forthcoming meeting. Rather, I think attention will be on the accompanying policy statement and Fed Chair Powell's uh, press conference. I mean, I'm going to be looking for clues as to what Chair Powell kind of means by when he says moving expeditiously to a more neutral policy stance in terms of the speed um, of uh, rate hikes. Um, so, you know, should we be expecting 50 basis point rate hikes at each of uh, the, the, the coming meetings of the FOMC? Or, you know, should we also be expecting potentially a three quarter point hike, as recently suggested by the St. Louis Fed Governor, um, James Bullard? And also, you know, looking for any kind of indications in terms of what is a neutral rate when inflation is so far above the Fed's target. You know, the the long-term interest rate projections that the Fed have provided suggest that they think 2.5% is a sort of neutral level of um, uh, policy interest rates. But that's when inflation is near its 2% target. But inflation is, is, is currently around 7%. Um, so, you know, getting a sort of sense of um, you know, how big future policy moves and, and rate hikes will be, uh, where they think the, the sort of neutral stance um, for, for, for Fed funds will actually be, I think, is, is, is what I will be at least looking for in terms of um, the, the, the meeting next week. I, I think also some investors will be hoping for some tempering of the Fed's uh, increasingly sort of hawkish rhetoric and acknowledgement of downside risk to growth. But I think they're going to be disappointed. So I, I think next week's Fed meeting is not really going to contain any major surprises. But because the Fed will remain focused on, in their own words, inflation, 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 um, I think the market may well view it as quite a hawkish outcome. How concerned are you by the risk to growth in the near term? Staying on on the US, I think the risk of a US recession this year is very low. Um, I know that um, the US has just released uh, first quarter GDP, which was actually minus 1% quarter and quarter annualised um, uh, you know, minus 1.4%, sorry, compared to sort of uh, a consensus forecast of plus uh, 1%. But that was really reflecting a big, a very big drag from, from net exports, from, from net trade. Um, 
which I think will continue to be a drag on headline growth because that's what happens when the economy is running hot. That's what happens when domestic demand is outstripping domestic supply. But if you look at the other key drivers of, you know, of, of growth, um, consumption um, is, is rising at about 2.7% at, at an annualized rate. Um, investment is also rising at a pretty good uh, pace as, as well. So I actually think the US economy still has pretty strong uh, momentum despite this um, you know, surprise contraction in the first quarter of, of, of this year. And despite the weak sentiment that are reported by consumers, they're still spending. Um, you know, if you look at the latest corporate and bank earnings, they confirm that, you know, the all important US consumers is, is, is still out there, still spending, still in relatively good shape. So I think the debate in terms of the US is really about whether the Fed can engineer a soft landing in 2023, rather than sort of near term concerns around uh, around growth. And, and I'm sure this will be something that we'll discuss in a future podcast, Alex, but yeah, history is not on the side of the Fed when it comes to um, a soft landing for the economy. In, in terms of, you know, looking back again, more to the near term, uh, clearly, Europe is more exposed than the US to um, the slowing in China, but but also to higher oil and gas prices and the risk of disruption in energy supplies from, from Russia. So we've recently had the announcement that Russia is going to cut off gas supply to Poland and Bulgaria, supposedly because they're not paying in um, Russian rubles. Um, but I think, you know, the... the you know, this this confrontation between the West and Russia, you know, along with the intensification of the fighting in, in Ukraine means that, you know, I think the risk of disruptions in energy supplies to Europe, either because Russia cuts off supply um, or because, you know, Europe does actually go down the route of um, embargoing uh, Russian energy, or because of you know damage that is done to um, energy infrastructure. I mean, the, I think these risks are on the rise, and and that and, and that would basically tip Europe into a recession. And I think that leaves the ECB pretty stuck between a rock and a hard place uh, because it's also facing you know a weaker euro, rising energy prices you know, that's going to entrench inflation, but a growth outlook that, that is also deteriorating. Um, I, I'm sceptical that the ECB will be able to deliver the 150 basis points of rate hikes currently priced by the market over the next 12 months. But, you know, it, it's certainly in a difficult um, situation. And, you know, as we've just discussed, you know, the outlook, at least in the near term for China growth is also you know, pretty weak um, as these lockdowns restrict consumer spending and they hinder efforts to stabilize the property market. And I think we're seeing these concerns or this divergence, if you like, between the US and the rest of the world play out in foreign exchange markets where, you know, we're seeing a, a period of US dollar strength. So the trade weighted US dollar is up 4% so far this month. Um, Euro dollar is at 105. So that's, you know, back to its sort of pandemic lows. And that's despite the sort of hawkish shift by the ECB in recent months. Um, the Bank of Japan is one of the sort of few central banks left, if you like, that's sticking to its kind of 
um, sort of dovish uh, policy stance. It's sticking to its negative interest rates and yield curve control. But that's playing out in terms of a weakening yen, which is also now at a five-year low. Uh, the Chinese currency has also uh, been in decline against the dollar as well. The, the British pound has been weakening as well. Uh, and cleaning a little bit against the, the euro, I mean, UK growth outlook is deteriorating, inflation near double digits, tax hikes, uh, squeezing household incomes and, 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 and spending. So I think, you know, in the current, what we're seeing in the market at the moment is, is a bit of a, at least for now, a kind of shift in the market's attention and investors' attention from inflation and interest rates and, and, and where they're going to, yeah, but what about growth? And I think certainly near-term growth risks for China and Europe are becoming uh, more acute, uh, while the debate in the US, I think, is still really a, a story for sort of 2023. And finally today, David, in your view, what are the takeaways for investors of these shifting narratives on growth and inflation? Look, these, these, these kind of shifting narratives, these kind of macro cost currents, um, you know, are very treacherous, I think, for investors to navigate. I, I do think the stronger dollar trend will remain intact for a while yet. Even though central bankers are trying to sort of outhawk each other, I think yield differentials and rate expectations still favour the dollar. And a near-term growth risk, as we've discussed, for Europe and China versus the US, I think means that, you know, also favours the US dollar and, and more broadly US uh, assets. Um, credit is often the first market to signal rising near-term recession risk and, and spreads certainly are wider on, on, on the year, uh, but they're still within sort of non-recession ranges um, and implied default and rating downgrade risk over the next 12 months actually remains quite low. Um, that said, Euro corporate spreads are trading wide of the US on a sort of like-for-like -like basis. That's relatively unusual. And I think that does reflect the greater economic downside risk in, in Europe compared to, to, to the US. So I, I do think that sort of better quality credit is you know, looking attractive at current spreads and with underlying yields already incorporating significant rate hikes. Um, equity has been a favoured destination for investor flows this year, um, in part as a hedge against rising inflation. But I do think for inflation to fall, corporate profit margins, which have risen to record levels during the recovery from the pandemic, will also have to come down. And add in you know, rising growth fears, you know, higher rates, you know, discounting uh, lower future cash flows. Um, I actually think the outlook for equity markets remains, you know, skewed to the downside, um, even after the, the sort of re recent sell-off that we're seeing. Um, so an environment, you know, turning to emerging markets, I mean, I think an environment of rising US rates and, and, and China growth fears is, is a pretty tough environment for emerging market assets. Um, that said, in my opinion, I think there are some interesting opportunities for investors in emerging market high yield sovereigns where, where performance is really dominated by country specific factors rather than these kind of global macro um, drivers. Um, I think it's interesting that the recent risk off tone in markets, you know, with equities downs and, and bonds up, is a reminder that fixed income is an important diversifier of growth risk in portfolios. 
I, I still think it's too early to decisively add duration or, or interest rate risk to portfolios despite growth concerns. In my view, real and nominal yields have further to go, um, especially if inflation does not fall as fast as forecast. And, and frankly, given the failure to predict the rise in inflation, I'm wary of relying on the same forecasters, including central banks, in their predictions of a sustained decline in inflation over coming months. So in summary, I think it makes sense to maintain a sort of short US versus Euro duration stance, um, a long US dollar bias. I think favour higher quality carry in credit, such as you know bank subordinated debt. I think where you can exploit some dislocations, for example, in distressed or illiquid opportunities in emerging markets. Um, I think over the coming months, US inflation, COVID in China, growth in Europe, these, these are going to be the, the kind of key themes, the key drivers uh, for investors to uh, monitor. And I think, you know, over time, investors would be better placed to judge whether it's, it's, it's time to add or reduce growth and interest rate risk in portfolios. But for now, I think it makes sense to be cautious and avoid being whipsawed by, by these treacherous macro cross currents. Thanks for your time today, David. And we'll speak again next month. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2022.